again, my name's Russ Clemmer, and you're here with us on the Three Wins Podcast. I'm the president of Legacy Advisory Partners here in Atlanta, Georgia, and I have a wonderful guest today, Larry Cox of Perfecting Philanthropy, as our guest today on the podcast. Thank you, Larry, for joining us. Oh, my pleasure to be with you, Russ. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. So when our, in our work, Larry, with business owners, founders, business owners, you know, they find themselves in a situation eventually where, you know, there's a, there's a, 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 a larger than normal giving opportunity, right? And we're talking about, you know, all kinds of different ways of giving what's on their mind, what's on their heart, things in their family, things in their community, their church, whatever that may look like. And so, but there's a methodology, there's an, there's an appropriate way of doing it. There's an appropriate way of going about it. And I know that based on you know, our interaction and, and stories I've heard from you and getting to know you, you've walked down that road with a lot of different folks. And that's what you do with folks now on a, on a full-time basis with perfecting through philanthropy. And so today I'd love to just kind of, how did, how did you get to where you are now? What, what are some of the stories along the way that the Lord has brought you through? But just start with a, a quick description of perfecting through philanthropy and, and some of the things that you guys do with, with, with your client. Sure. Thanks for the opportunity. Yes, my partner, Todd Nichols, and I have the business together. When I retired from leading Chick-fil-A ministries, I can mention that again, but mm-hmm. uh, and three years ago, just before I retired, I gave Todd this idea about starting a company to work with high net worth families in helping them develop strategies for sharing their wealth. The, the family that owns Chick-fil-A had given me the opportunity while I worked there to work pro bono for some other families and advising them and consulting with them. And so I enjoyed that a lot. But Todd said, yeah, I'll do this if you'll work with me. So we decided to form a partnership. And our company, Cox Nichols, LLC, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. actually works with families and family foundations in trying to help them with, with their families. We work with generational succession to work with them. We work in due diligence. If they want to make a large gift, we will do due diligence on the charity that they want to give to to see whether or not they want to put $500,000 investment in that charity or that ministry. So we sit down with families and try to help them and feeling like they're more than an ATM machine. We try to lead them to transformational experiences rather than transactional experiences because most of their experiences as a family, even when they sit down maybe once a year to decide, now what are we going to give away this year? They may even have a foundation that helps them do that, but they still have to make the decision about where they're going to give the money. But they still feel like you know they're just writing checks. Like, yeah. And those are not transformational experiences for the family. And therefore, the children do not get very excited about it. So what happens is with families, they talk more about their valuables than they do about their values. So one of the Mm. key things we do with families is try to help them to have more discussions about family values rather than their valuables. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's really something that turns on lights with a lot of families because they realize, you know, that they don't spend time talking about values. Their legacy is going to be about money and not about what's in their heart. 
and what they want to pass on to their children and their grandchildren. So we have, it's, it's a lot of fun in doing this. It's not easy because families don't, aren't always, they don't always get along well. There are a lot of dysfunctional families out there and a lot of them are high net worth families also. So it's a challenge, but we enjoy working in that particular space right now. Now, do you want me to continue about how I got there? Well, yeah, I, I just want to highlight a couple of things. I think, it, you know, the one story that I got from a, a, a client who is talking about, you know, his experience, you know, being successful, having, you know, excess wealth to, to, to give away over the years. And he had a pastor actually say to him in a meeting, you know, it sure is great having a sugar daddy in our church. And I, I sat there and, and when you were talking about, you know, it's more about the, the, the valuables than it is the values and, you know, thinking through some of those things, I can't imagine a worse feeling, right? To say, the Lord has blessed me with the opportunity to own this business and lead this business. And it's generated a lot of wealth, right? And then that's what I'm known for. That's what I'm, I, I'm a wealthy person that, that, you know, can, can be approached for a check every now and again. And it really is so much more than that. It really is so much more than that. It's important. Money is important. It's got to fund all these different things that, that the good things that people are doing, but it is so much more than that. And it, and it, and it reduces the giver. It reduces the giver down to just a conduit for the money, right? right? From where it came from to whoever wants it. Right. You're just the conduit in the middle. And that's a, that, that's not a, that's not a great position to be in. And so that that's that's really good work that you guys are doing. So now, how did you get to the point just, where you? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I, I, pastors uh, may not like what I'm about to say, but I don't mean to classify all pastors like this. But many pastors are gatekeepers for wealth in their church. The thing is, mm -hmm. though, they don't even understand how much wealth their church members have. But yet they want to keep them because they're afraid that they may not give enough or give it all to the church. Therefore, they don't share and don't talk to, to people mm. like us about how to help these families to manage their wealth, not to make more money, but to give away and to share their wealth. Therefore, what happens is these wealthy people give to other causes other than the church. They don't want the church to know how much money they've got. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> When the pastor starts sharing and talking and introducing their church members to other people who can help them share their wealth with others, what happens is those people that are members of his church or her church, they will give more to the church. So they're actually gatekeepers, not only for keeping other people from messing with them, but from the wealthy people giving more money to their own church. So interesting fact there. Yeah, you know, you you almost anytime you you squeeze too hard, you make you, you turn it into a, a bottleneck, right? You 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 pinch it off instead of of having that that free flow, and and it's really, you know, for the giver, for the giver, it's the the whether you're given whether you're given an extra dollar a month, or you're given an extra ten thousand dollars a month, mm -hmm. for the giver, it's it's the opportunity to say you know, the, the God's given this to me and I'm, I'm excited about putting it in somebody's hands versus it's really the education of 
what do I get to be a, what, how can I participate with the folks doing the work, even though I'm only funding it, right? I may only be funding it, but how do I get to participate? And some organizations do that really well, bring, bring the donors into the environment. Some, like you're talking about, many pastors, many churches just say, hey, here's the need. Don't worry about the details. Here's the need. Here's the, you know, here's the check. So yeah, I, I I do I do recognize that. Yep, that's a good point. So what? Get, go to the start. How did how did Larry Cox get get into the point where he's advising high net worth individuals on how to best organize their charitable uh, aspirations? Well, I would have never dreamed that I would have been here because I actually was born in the poorest county in the poorest state in the United States. That's a uh, USA Today article from September 2019 from Harvard Research. I was born in Holmes County, Mississippi. So I'm a, on a farm, so I'm a Mississippi farm boy. So how did I get here? That's quite an interesting story. And I won't tell you all those 73 years worth, but anyhow, just the fact that our first international experience, and we spent a lot of years working overseas as with a missionary. Mm-hmm. I was an agricultural missionary. I helped mm-hmm. poor African farmers get more protein in their diets. So there were cases of starvation every year. So it was quite a challenge working with them and using the appropriate technology with them. But that was an exciting time of our lives for 11 plus years there in West Africa. And then spent years in leading missionaries in Eastern Europe when the work opened in Eastern Europe. And after that, led missionaries in Northern African, Middle East, and the Arabian Peninsula in about 35 countries around the Mediterranean there. And then worked with an administration as a, in the home office, a mission organization. And then after that, friends at Chick-fil-A and family, some of the family have been friends of ours for 35 plus years. They asked us to come and join Chick-fil-A's ministries and start ministries for them. At that time, there was one ministry called Windshape. So we actually started working with them and then started another organization called LifeShape. And then another organization called Impact 360 Institute and led those organizations for 14 years and then retired from that at the end of 2018 and for the past three years have been working with my partner Todd Nichols so I mean now how did I get here that's 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 73 years in about 90 yeah. seconds yeah that it was and that, so, that, so so touch on touch on some of those highlights and in and, and just just for you know my own edification one of the one of the things that that eagerly pursuing and, and, and interested in is the idea that if you're a business owner, a successful business owner, you have more than just money to give, right? You have all of those years of entrepreneurial, pulling yourself up by the bootstraps, waking up at two in the morning, you know, for, for three weeks in a row, worrying about how the different things are going to work out, leading and driving and leading and driving, taking the risk. And that experience is worth transferring to the next generation, yeah. right? One way or another. And so you were a part of being able to train up other business owners mm-hmm. in several of your roles. So as you go back and kind of fill in some of the details, please hit on some of those things. Yeah, that would, that would be helpful. So during that time that we served as a missionary, we actually had come back to the States for six years where I served Mississippi College as assistant of the president, the president was a friend and he'd asked me to come back even while I was a missionary once and I wasn't, didn't want to do that. But anyhow, when we came back, uh, we served in that capacity 
But among the things that I did, I was able to start a worldview class for the college and start international work for the college. But something else that I was able to do is to learn fundraising. So I actually had my first fundraising experience working for the college as and learned how to ask people for money. Uh, that was a very difficult thing. And it's, uh, it's not an easy thing. A lot of people say it's easy to ask people. It's true. Anyone can ask people for money. But it's drawing the net that's difficult and getting that, that gift in your hand. Anybody can ask for money. But so anyhow, I learned those, the, those qualities there and principles there. At the same time I was there, though, those six years, the Board of Trustees of the college allowed me to start two nonprofits. I had still had a hankering for overseas missions work, and I had to fulfill that somehow. So I started two companies that started working in Central Asia before communism fell in the late 80s. We worked in Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, and Uzbekistan. And I'm going into detail here because this was my first experience, really. My, I'd owned a business with my brother along the way, by the way. So we had a business there. And I found out I love business and I love startups, but I don't like starting them with my, with my family members. So anyhow, that was that's always <laughs> work. But I mean, we still are, are close brothers. So even after that experience. But anyhow... But along the way there, I had the opportunity to teach business skills to government leaders in Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, and Uzbekistan in Central Asia before communism fell, when there was not even a word for profit in the Russian language. So we're mm-hmm. trying to find a way to teach them how to do business like in the West in the former Soviet Union before communism fell. When the material we use, Russ, you won't believe, but it was actually junior high and high school junior achievement material i mean is that simple but we had to start at the very bottom with them teaching banking accounting entrepreneurship how to start a business all those essentials that that are taught in junior high and high school through junior achievement so but it was wildly successful in that we were entertained there by government officials when we arrived and had helicopter tours of the country where they literally rolled a red carpet out from the helicopter and when we arrived in a new town to teach these business principles. And I was taking, by the way, Christian business people. This mm-hmm. is not a mission trip. These were business people who never had the opportunity to go on a mission trip and use their own skills in doing something overseas. And this was the late 80s, early 90s. So that really gave me the roots for uh, when I arrived. And I had other experiences because I've led business people even as who are missionaries, because I worked in creative access countries where, of course, missionaries are not allowed. That means that you have to add value to that government there in order to get a visa in the country. So we had business consulting companies so led those and helped start one of those called Lead International back in 2002, three, excuse me. And then also along the way, had other opportunities. So then it was natural that when I moved to Chick-fil-A, my goals were, my, the family asked me to do two things, to start something for young people who walk away from their faith when they leave high school and go to college. That's the Impact 360 Institute, which has a fellows program, a nine-month program for kids coming out of high school going into college. It's based in Pine Mountain, Georgia. They're right next door to Callaway Gardens. And then the other thing they said, do something internationally. And so I got these two pieces of white paper, basically, to start these. And what I did is exactly what I did done successfully there in Central Asia during those six years. 
is I started using the business people that Chick-fil-A had, the men and women who owned the Chick-fil-A's and the home office staff and taking them on meaningful experiences overseas. And so today, this, of course, this, this ministry still thrives under the organization called LifeShape. And I mean, when I left, we'd already been in 80-something countries, did uh, anywhere from 40 projects a year to 50 projects a year, taking these businessmen and women overseas for a week or a week, 10 days at a time. And it's fun watching the, these Chick-fil-A owner operators because they're, they're on the business and they're trying to run their business while over there. And of course, they were checking up sales every day on their devices and all, but it was real fun. They, this is the end of the month. It was a busy time where you watch them get their P&Ls together. So anyhow, it's just a fun time to, to do that. And to, so anyhow, and during that time, as I mentioned, I also had the opportunity to work with some other families to help them. And that's kind of what led me together. And along the way, I studied and got several degrees along the way also, so which helped me. Sure, sure. So, yeah, just to just to reiterate one point, you know, coming out of the coming out of the three wins podcast, I hope everybody hears that for business owners, there are people who who need the the, the practical knowledge and the practical experience that you can provide whether that's coaching whether that's coaching you know some some young entrepreneurs that are in the area your your local area or like we talked about acts 1 8 right the 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 to the ends of the earth could be could be you know in, in uzbekistan or wherever the need is and that's what's exciting to me is to be able to uh business owners who are traditionally traditionally not looked at as potential missionaries and say, hey, this is a great opportunity. This is a great opportunity to go and, and share what you know and, and the lessons you've learned and the things that God has shown you along the way. In addition to the, in addition to the general business education that you're providing, you're giving them a, a, you know, a great opportunity to relate to the Lord as a business owner and teach them how to do that in particular. Absolutely. You know, most yeah. pastors see these people, the business people, as people who take up the offering or who serve as ushers or who serve on the finance committee or who serve on the administration or personnel committee and who may be a deacon or an elder and who may teach a Bible study group. But other than that, that's, that's all they see them as. But business people have a lot to offer. I often say that business people is one of the largest unreached people groups in the world by that meaning that they are unused. Instead of unreached, I think it could be, they could be a UPG, the unused people group, the largest UPG. I like that. I think that that needs to be, that needs to be preached from the, from the mountaintops. That, that's a very, very true statement. And often the people, you know, the, the, I went to a, I went to a small little Bible college and the, the president would get up and say, and, and I think he believed this whole heart out on how theologically sound it is, but he would say, you are either you're you're willing, planning to go, willing to stay, mm. versus planning to stay, willing to go, mm. right? And, and 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 you know, I said, well, you know, I'm planning to do what where be where God you know points mm. me, whether I'm going two miles down the street from where I grew up or two thousand miles, right? Whatever that looks like, that's what I'm planning on doing. But that really is the the essence of if a business owner, you can either give the money to somebody else to go do the work, or you can actually go and do some of the work next to that person. Absolutely. And I think yeah. that's really the fulfilling, that, that, that's, that's a way to 
be able to do that. And that really is in the same spirit of, of what you're helping families do, right? What are the opportunities for people to, to be able to experience what the wealth is going towards? And so to, we start, start unpack, it, un, unpack that a little bit for us. What are some of the things you take families through? What are some of the exercises? And then, you know, a- actually getting, you know, through the giving process, what, what are some of the, the things you, you help do specifically? Well, my partner Todd and I start actually with basic, some basic questions about their childhood of the patriarch and the matriarch of the family. And this is in mm-hmm. front of the family. Ask them to tell some stories about that they remember from their past that touched their hearts about something where they saw their parents or grandparents do something for someone else. So we start with those stories that touch the heart and talk about sharing. And we like to use the word sharing rather than giving because giving means you give something to someone and then it's theirs. But when you share something, it's still part of yours. And that's the challenge with most gifts is that they don't feel like it is part of theirs because they the money away and now it's no longer ours so we no longer have any attachment but we wanted the 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 head the heart and the hands to be attached to every gift that a family gives by that meaning that you we want the family to be engaged and involved in researching what they're going to do and talking about it and how the values of that organization match the values of that family they match the what the ambitions are for this family and what they want to see accomplished, the passions that they have. Every family member should identify some passion that they have. And they're all different. Almost every family member will pick out something different. One of the things that my wife and I have enjoyed doing is instead of making a, a donation sometimes to a charity, we'll divide that money up that we're going to give to the charity and divide it among our grandchildren and give it to them and let them decide what to do. And we give it to them and give them several weeks to decide. Now, preschoolers, we have 16 grandkids, by the way, so ages two to 20. So anyhow, the parents get involved in this also with the preschoolers, but the family is involved in determining how they're going to use that amount of money. And then they go and give the money away. And then we come back in another family meeting and everybody reports on what they've done with their money. So mm. that, that's really a great experience because the children are involved in it. And the preschoolers are not going to remember much about this, you know. But as they grow older, as we continue to do this, they will. And those teenagers that we've got and those that are in college now, they remember it well. So it starts some lasting relationships also for that family of our four kids, the four different families, kids. So that's just one thing. So what you want to do is to get the kids involved. Instead of giving to a soup kitchen downtown, go and serve a meal with your kids downtown. Get them involved and get them talking about what can we do to help them and let them come up with the idea. So trying to involve the family is very important in in doing this. And of course, Along the way, too, the family needs to have established, I mean, I know this sounds like a business, but it is, and we think like this, but, you know, does the family have a vision? What's the vision of family? What's that way out there thing that we know we may never see happen except for God's grace that we want to see happen through Mm -hmm. our family? 
So casting a vision for the family that may be generational. I mean, King David did this. King David did not get the temple built. So God told him he wasn't going to be able to build the temple. So what did he do? He started pouring into his son and helping yeah. him prepare to build a temple. He started pouring yeah. into Solomon. And Solomon was described as the wisest man. Well, it was by God's grace, but his father poured into him everything he had. Mm -hmm. He gave mm -hmm. him all of his values and all the good values, we hope. But anyhow, regardless, what happened is it had, what the Bible says, an impact for generations to come. Yeah. That's the type of legacy that we really want to leave with our, 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 our people. And by the way, I, you know, whoever's listening to this, if you're 21 and you think not thinking about legacy, you need to be. Because legacy is not about what comes after you die. You need to live your legacy now. I'll pause there. Yeah, I, I think that that that's so true. The there's a, a book by John Tyson. He's a pastor, he's an Australian fellow that came over to New York City to plant a church. And as he's kind of you know, he's looking at his son and he's saying, all right, well, you know, what's the process of launching a son, right? What are the, what are the, you know, Western culture ideas around taking a son and walking him through a program over, you know, a 15 year period. And then, you know, 18 or whatever, you kind of walk out to go to college or start your own, you know, thing, whatever that looks like. What's that, what's the ceremonial and what are the, what's the material and the content that goes into that and what are the experiences that need to go into that and what are the other people that need to speak into that so he's sitting there and he's realizing well nobody's got there's no common western culture way of doing that and he said i set out to create one and then he wrote a book about it and so me and a bunch of other guys at at, at church a bunch of other dads of sons are walking through that together and trying to you know piece that together ourselves and one of the questions in there like what you're talking about relates to what you're talking about is in the, it's a question in the book, but did your, did your great grandfather or great, great grandfather cast out a vision for his family, a generational vision for his family. And I don't, I don't know a lot about them or their walk with the Lord. My dad's a, a, a wonderful man, has followed the, the Lord um, all of my life and, and just a great, great godly example. But he's, and generationally, he's the first one to really start that process of walking with the Lord. Mm -hmm. And I've reaped benefits of being able to watch him and see that. But I know for a fact that my grand, grandfather, great grandfather, great great, they didn't cast that vision for the and so the challenge in john tyson's book was what's the vision that you're going to cast for your family that you want to bring your son along into and and you know just as a as a side note all of the conversation around you got to be yourself you can't you know you don't owe it to your family to be this and this and this and this you're an independent person you go make your own road and do all these other things and you know, that's a bunch of baloney, right? Unless you just have the worst family in the world, you really do need to go set out on your own. But it, the idea is how do, we, how do we 
sit in that vision, especially when it's, when it's, you know, dedicated to the Lord, how do we sit in that vision and grow in that vision and be able to be a part of that? And that's not talked about in the church. You don't hear those types of things. You don't walk through, you don't, you don't see those types of things lived out and taught. And so, you know, when it's not people like you answer the call and, uh, and are walking folks through that process. Yeah. So what, so if you're not high net worth, what are the, what are the principles that still apply right to a, to a, to an average family, to an average person? What are the, do the principles still apply? And if so, which, which ones would you? Absolutely. And I, I talk to people and friends all the time about these same principles and they're not paying me to do it. So anyhow, it's the principles of just that only high net worth families want to pay for it. Right. It, it, and that really is true that, you know, they have, yeah. it, they're paying for it because they have a considerable amount of money on the line. Right. They do. Yes. But still though, they, they apply. And as, as I mentioned, I mean, the, the first one is of course this transferable anywhere is, how much do you talk to your family about values? How much do you talk mm-hmm. about money? What do children hear mom and dad talking about at home? Usually it's about paying bills or we can't afford that. They say, you know, I want this, I want that. No, we don't can't afford that or we can't buy that. So this is what kids hear. So instead of saying, well, you know, we, we're not going to buy that because it's not something that people with our beliefs or with our understanding or with our upbringing from our own parents, we wouldn't do something like that. So, I mean, make it relevant to the family instead of relevant to, we can't afford that or we can't buy that. I mean, anybody can start those kind of conversations. And then no matter how much you give, I mean, it, it still needs to be a transformational gift. How many Parents let the, the children know that they are giving to the church. I mean, the children may see them do something with an, with an envelope or with a check or with a credit card. I mean, it's online. They don't see it. You know, how many people, parents involve their children in what do we give to the church? Or if it's a special offering to talk about it, or if it's to a charity to talk about it. You think we should, let's talk about whether or not we should give this, this, this organization needs this money for this project. What do you think about that? And then say, well, if they don't understand, they say, well, let's go online, look at their website, or let's go visit them. Let's go down, downtown to their office and visit them, just see what they do. So, I mean, these are some things, very simple things that, that parents can do to involve and engage their families, no matter what their wealth status. So yes, everything we do is transferable. I mean, except for maybe setting up a family office to handle your wealth. I mean, things like that maybe are not transferable, but most of the things and the principles that we do are transferable. So anyhow, there's scriptural, of course, scriptural basis for generosity. How many parents talk to their children about generosity? Would, and, and to ask, a great question for parents is to ask your children, do you think that mom and dad are generous? And just see what the kids say. I think they'll be, have some interesting responses to that. Hopefully they'll be good, but they may not be. They may not even know what generous means. And if that's the case, then really, that's really bad. I'm all about 
biblical generosity and teaching that and leading that, you don't have to have money to a lot of money to be generous. I mean, we look at the examples of the widow with the widow's might in the Bible and other examples of that God gave us through the scripture of how people shared what they had. I mean, after all, do our kids understand that everything we have belongs to God? I'm starting to preach now, and I've never been a preacher, but anyhow, I'm starting to preach because it, this stuff will preach, you know, it will. Yeah. Everything belongs to God. So we are... And this word that's no longer in our vocabulary, steward. And the word stewardship. Mm -hmm. The word stewardship used to be when the pastor would preach on stewardship, you know he's trying to get more money in the offering and get people to catch up on their tithes and offerings. That's the generation I grew up in. But your generation now and your kids don't know the meaning of steward. But it's a wonderful word. The word means to take care of something that doesn't belong to you. That's what we are. We are stewards of all God's resources. Mm -hmm. That's what we need to be teaching our children. It, yeah, I think that's a that's an awesome, awesome point. The the everything that we have, including you know business owners and their business, mm -hmm. their family, their 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 finances, all the skills and abilities and everything else. It, it's temporarily lent. It's temporarily lent. It still belongs to. I think that's a that's a wonderful point. It's a wonderful way to look at it. And, and like, not every not everybody can get there, but that's a part of the that's a part of the process of growing in your relationship with Jesus to the point where that that becomes you know something that that there aren't any strongholds. You're not holding anything back, saying, "No, nah, this is still mine." No, and that that's that's that that's that progression in in a relationship with Jesus. It, it doesn't happen overnight, and and you know you're not always you're, you're never always there. You're not fully there. I think those of us who have a farming background understand the meaning of the word steward better than anyone because you're stewarding the land and the resources which you own, but really they're not yours. I mean, they understand it. But also there was, when I was growing up, my grandparents farmed land that belonged to someone else and they would pay not in money, but in share and part of the crop. They were called sharecroppers. Mm -hmm. So they shared part of the harvest with the owner. So that principle of stewardship was ingrained in me very early um, about not owning things, but just taking care of them. Yeah, that, that's the, that's a, it's almost like you reach, reach different levels of freedom, right? With the, the more you, you know, the old principle of you stick your hand in a jar and grab a, grab a big, grab a big you know, handful of candy, and then you try to pull your hand out with it in a fist, and it's never going to happen. It's never going to work. You gotta, you gotta pull your hand out and then pour it out, right? That was always the trick. Yeah. But that idea of when you go through that, there's there's graduating levels of, you know, I think the world calls it enlighten enlightenment, but what you're really understanding is freedom, you know, from the the pressure and the the lie that you're in control, mm. and it's up to you. And, you know, you're, you're always on, on the defense, right? You're always, you're always trying to guard from, and you do have to be careful. You do have to be, you know, you have to be, you know, appropriate. And I think part of what you do is a due diligence process of being able to say, yes, this is a good place to give to. Yes, this is an appropriate thing. You have to watch those things, but um, the freedom and the joy of being able to give, right? That the act of giving is a, 
is, is something that we were designed to do. And we just have to learn how to do it well. Yeah. And there are a lot of demands on people's money today and people are charitable. I mean, there was uh, Barna has just released a new report on generosity and basically find that you know, probably four out of five Americans consider themselves generous, which is very interesting. Isn't it? So anyhow, so if four out of five people consider themselves generous, there's a, as we know, there are billions given every year, but people need to do their own due diligence, even if they're given a hundred dollar gift to a charity and to find out more about the charity and what happens and to find out how much they're keeping for administration, how much they're keeping for fundraising. And even some of the biggest names in the U.S., you know, are, you need to be careful with some of them, actually. So I would just encourage everyone, you know, it's God's money. So be careful how you give it away. Yeah. The, uh, one of the verses I like is, you know, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And you think about that, that's a lot of cattle, right? That's a lot of hills and that's a lot of cattle. And the verse is talking about, you know, his resources don't, don't run out. And so, you know, the idea is, well, if I give it away, then I don't have anything left. Well, no, if you give it away, then he's going to put something back in its place so that you can keep giving that away. Right. And that, that's the beauty of, you know, the beauty of understanding that, you know, just because we got it doesn't mean, you know, and certain people have that mentality of, well, I finally got something. I really have to hold on to it and protect. And some of that is true. Some of that is true to plan for the future and plan well and to, and to be good stewards of your own taking care of yourself. That's a big, that's, that's certainly not something that you don't want to pay attention to, but, but that's good. So, so I, I think we, some wonderful principles, and I'm sure you have a lot of other stories that I would encourage listeners to reach out to you and to you and Todd to be able to say, hey, how do I do this well? How can you help me and my family do this well? And then at the same time, you know, being able to say, hey, even if I don't have, you know, a, a ton of money to give, I need to, to learn how to manage what I have for what I need. And then to be able to develop that generous, that giving heart, and then knowing the Lord will put the money in your hand to give it. Sure. Yeah, we'd be happy to serve in the name of Jesus, anyone who's interested. That's right. That's right. Well, Larry, thanks for joining us on the Three Wins podcast. It's been a pleasure to, to host you here and for you to be our guest. And whatever anybody has questions or thoughts, we'll put your contact information in the, uh, in the link below. But again, thank you very much for joining us and look forward to talking to you again soon. My joy. Thanks, Russ. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Yep.